like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. KU did not have the best game on Saturday, to put it lightly, and You know, we went into the weekend, like, why would they put the Chiefs game on at the same time as KU? Not that the NFL or ESPN really probably cared as proof of the game actually happening. Uh, But it ended up, honestly, maybe being a blessing that the Chiefs played at the same time as KU because you almost got to just kind of distract yourself if you were watching on two TVs or you could switch over uh, whatever you did to, to watch the different games and just basically remove yourself from the fact that KU got blasted inside 44 to 18 points in the paint. Yeah. Um, I will say this though. I, there's nothing to be happy about with the chiefs game until after the KU game was over. So if you use that, you just pissed at two things instead of one. <laughs> That's a good point. I had to, so I, I had to like broadcast a couple of games for Baker over the weekend. And of course those happened to be at the same time as all this too. So I had to like rewatch the games after and, and, the notion of rewatching a game that was like a classic or your you know like your favorite team won or like you look back on it fondly as a child or something like those are fine but it's another thing to like go into a whole process and be like i know how this ends it doesn't end well yeah. and the whole process of it is not a pretty game ugly. ugly game um both in terms of how it happened for them losing and just in terms of the game style if that was just a game between you know point loma state and i don't know whoever i'm just making up colleges now although i don't know if that's a real college or not um yeah, if it's a, if it's a big way if it's a uc davis it would not be a fun game if that's a quarterfinal even if it's even if it's in march and it's a quarterfinal no. you know big west I'm out. game it, we're still not watching out. It because it's gross yeah so that was that was a, a chore in itself to do over the weekend um and I guess that's kind of the theme of the issues for KU. Um, Mitch Lightfoot, 10 minutes in the game. These are the only stats he had. One assist and one turnover. He was Nothing else. Look, I saw people, and rightly so, because Dave McCormick is probably the best big man on the team, and I still feel very much that this team, the best version of this team is when Dave McCormick is playing well. And he was not playing well, so I, I'm fully aware that most of the complaints on Twitter were about Dave, and that's fine. Mitch Mitch Lightfoot, and and I mean, he, but he was bad, and and I really try to to stay away from being overly. Although now that college students have college players have a chance to get paid, I can be a little more critical. But I always, I never want to be as critical about college players as I am about the pros. But there's no, I mean, like Lightfoot was just bad, man. But none of them were good. And, and I mean, that's I, the thing. Not, but I guess Lightfoot was just, it would, like, you look at that box score and it's bananas how there was just nothing there. Like, and look, Dave only had what four points or was it four rebounds and six points or six rebounds and four points? Yeah, four and six. So he wasn't good either. It was just, 
I, I will say this. I, I, what I saw Saturday, watching it live, um, I saw the way a less talented team beats a more talented team. Yeah, um, I think that's what's kind of disappointing from the game and, and maybe where we're at with the season, the idea of how much that one position uh, that one player or two or whoever you're putting in there playing poorly is holding you back because it's, everything else around that signals this is a team that could make the Final Four. This is a team that could have one of the best offenses in the country. This is a team that could win a national championship, but because you're being held back, you're kind of being held hostage to that one spot. Like I mentioned, Mitch Lightfoot, one assist, one turnover. David McCormick severely regresses from the previous game. Zach Clements got extended run, uh, didn't provide a ton. I guess it wasn't anything worse than what KU had before him, but you got your butt kicked on the inside. You couldn't get anything offensively. You gave up, again, 44 points in the paint on defense. So much so that you had to do what Bill Self hates doing more than anything else, and that is playing what he refers to as junk defenses. He calls them that because he does not like playing them because he views it as being soft that the team cannot man up defensively, and they had to play a triangle in two. I mean, point blank, it was just a horrendous and game for the bigs, and, and it obviously signals the biggest issue for this team if they're to be held back from their ultimate goal at the end of the season. And beyond the triangle and two toward the end, they're playing a flat full-on 2-3 zone, which is even grosser, In well, I think, in self's mind. Because um, at least a, a triangle and two requires some form of man, at least between two guys. But anyway, um, I think, I'll say this, I think um, it's, it's, it's worth a lot that Christian Brown probably had his worst game of the year. Um, and I also think a lot of now look the the the, the play I, I I I'm probably more bothered by the uh, the the big the play of the bigs on the offensive end than the defensive end they were bad on the defensive end but I also think a lot of and I texted you and and you were doing a different game or you were you were doing the Baker game at that point so you weren't able to watch but. The, a lot of those paint points, it looked they they attacked Kansas. It looked so much like the Stephen F. Austin game, with a lot of cuts, a lot of backdoors, and a lot of just either unwillingness or inability of the guards to stay with their guys, and that that is a failure on everybody, not just the bigs. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You don't give up that many points in the paint. I mean, unless you're playing against. Wilt Chamberlain or something where it's yeah. dump the ball to him in the post and let him go to work. Yeah, it wasn't just a matter of dump it, dump it down low and go. They they were cutting. Um, there were all sorts of failures at all levels of the defense. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm being too hard on Christian Brown because he's been so great this year, but I also think there's part of me that's like, look, I, I, maybe I'm just resigned to the idea that this is how it's going to be. That you're gonna, you know, you'll get lucky sometimes, and you'll get 15 and 12 out of Dave McCormick, but and you know, r even more rare, I, I think, as great as Mitch Lightfoot was in that 14 point game um, that he had a few weeks ago, that led to him starting, or was it was it more than 14? Anyway, that great game that led to him starting, um, you know, I, I think those are even going to be more rare than Dave McCormick's uh, great games, which I think will be rare in and of themselves. And so I guess I'm I, knowing how reliant this team's going to need to be on those two wings to score, um, then I, I I'm probably even a little more I, I'm probably more discouraged by Brown. But again, I, I maybe I'm being too unfair to him um, 
because if, if they had if, if this team had a, a, f- a more consistent five spot um, then they wouldn't need 20 points a night from him. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there is almost a similarity between this team and the 2019-20 uh, team in, in one regard. Um, both teams are very reliant on just two guys offensively. Uh, if Devon or Yudoka were, were off in a specific game, it was going to be hard to muster up a big offensive game. Now, that team had the um, ability to lean on the fact that they were the best defense in the country, and that... Uh, isn't the case with this year's team. But when Christian or Ochai, when one of them's off, who's going to step up? And and if we would have said that before the season, it would have been like, oh, you'll be fine. You have a guy coming in from Arizona State, put up 20 a game in Remy Martin. He's just, he's not right right now. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the injury is, is certainly keeping him from being what he could be. And even when he wasn't injured, we saw he wasn't maybe as aggressive as this team might need. But I think this team overall... I think KU does have a championship caliber, one through four positions. I I don't know what to think of the big man spot because what we did see from David McCormick in the second half of last year would tell you that they do have enough in the big man spot to make a Final Four, make a deep run in March, to win a national title with everything else they have around them. Have- but based on what we've seen this season, it's hard for me to walk away saying that I think KU has good enough play at the center position that they can go on a deep run in March. Have we learned enough uh, in recent years that if you're going to, if you're only going to have four positions that are national title caliber, the Jayhawks have the right four? Um, that's a good question. I, I think certainly you'd want the guard play, which, like I said, the potential's there with Remy Martin. He's still been good. It just maybe hasn't been as aggressive as you would like offensively. You would like to have that. I, I do think there is an element because I, in, in nowadays basketball where things have moved so positionally down and things have sized down and everything, there probably is way less of an emphasis on the center versus if you went back to like the 70s or 80s and it's dominated yeah. by centers. And, and certainly if we were to look back at like the most recent national champions or the teams who went on deep runs – that position was definitely one, like Baylor last year. Baylor's weakest position probably was the center position. Um, but also, the commonality of those teams, is even if that was their quote-unquote weak spot, it's not a, a weak spot because it was bad. It's just a weak spot because it wasn't as good as having Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague and all those guys. So I think that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. It's like if you're not going to have a a a talented center position in terms of being able to, you know, give you a lot of different dynamic things. They have to be good role players. And I think what we've seen from this team is that the centers they have, like the idea of Dave isn't to be an elite role player, you know? And, And I think that's where they need to get to. Like if you could add a former Bill Self big man onto this team that wasn't an All-American. Obviously, if it was an All-American, you'd add so many different guys. But if I told you you could add a Bill Self big man that wasn't an All-American, Landon like would Landon, Landon Lucas, Lucas be the guy because See, he just fits a role? That was how, and but I'll take exactly what you just said and, and give you, and I know you're not like punting on the season or anything. No, I don't no. think anybody is. And I think but this can the, still if get fixed, if, right? If, yeah, and it, but if there's reason to be optimistic, there, there are two things. One... The first one being we exactly what you just said. This team doesn't need a previous, you know, stud. This doesn't team doesn't need Darrell Arthur, uh, who granted was a four, not a five, 
Uh, he'd be playing it, it five on this team. Yeah, he'd be playing five on this team. It doesn't need Udoka Azubuki. It doesn't need Joel Embiid. It needs more like a Landon Lucas. That's the good news, that they just need to go from bad to consistently reliable. 20 and 12. Bill Self said it. Yeah. He wants 20 and 12 between his two, two to three big men. That's what he wants from that position, not from one player, from that position each night. He said that he he laid down the exact numbers. And if you go, if you play two to three uh, big men per night, that's no, that's, it's a very doable. Those are doable numbers, right? And that's so the six and four what, between three guys. Exactly. What they need uh, is very doable. You need them to go from what they are now, which is sometimes very bad. You need to go with them from that to just consistently reliable. And then the second thing, the second reason for optimism is I have never, no, that's a lie, twice, 2005 and 2019 are the only times that I have ever seen, and I'm older than you, and I've followed, I mean, I, I have huge memories of the Roy Williams era, so I followed this this program for a long time. Um, 05 and 2019, are the only years I've ever seen not seen a team improve under Bill Self ever, and 05 was a weird one because that was the the senior year of the last of Roy Williams players, um, and 2019 was that odd one when Leger, you know Udoka went down in, in non con play ahead of the Arizona State game, Legerald Vick either left or was uh, encouraged to leave. Uh, like midpoint or beyond midpoint, like midpoint in the conference season. Other than that, Bill Self coached teams at KU, other than those two years, have improved from beginning to middle and middle to end every single year. And when you when you have that fact combined with the fact that we don't need these big men to improve to all American status, we need them to improve to fine role player status. I think there's reason, and again, I I know, I know you're not, you know, just saying, oh my God, it's over. Um, but I, I, if I were to, if I were to have to make the argument of why we should, there should be some hope there, I would say that that's it right there. Yeah, and so maybe even an answer emerged at the center position because we saw KU play the smaller lineup over the last couple minutes of the game, and and we had a talk last week. I mean. It's funny how this stuff works. Like Let you me talk stop about you something. for a second. An answer didn't emerge, Derek. I know you're tall. You're not going to be able to play center for this team. Just put me in. Give me a shot. That's all I need. Um, we talked last week about how poorly Jalen was playing. He, his true shooting percentage was the same as Charlie Moore in his one year at KU to show how poorly he was shooting. And boom, right after we say that, he goes off for 20 points against Tech. For a while, he was like the, the one saving grace in that game for KU. And... I, I said for two reasons that I didn't really want to discuss Jalen Wilson playing the small ball five last week because a lot of people were talking about it. And one of the reasons was just that he was playing so poorly too. So like you saying that, oh, we should play this guy here. That wasn't a a solution when he's playing so poorly. But the other reason was because Bill Self just wasn't doing it. He wasn't talking about it. So I just didn't want to waste time on something that I didn't think was going to happen. Well, now we're in a position where it actually feels very real. And Bill Self was asked about this at his press conference today, playing kind of a five-guard lineup, playing with Jalen at the five. Here was his answer to that question about possibly doing that moving forward. Yeah, I do. I do. You know, we didn't do it much, uh, uh, but we did it, what was it, last six or seven minutes. Uh, 
I do think there's a possibility we could do that more. That's not how I envisioned it going, but I do think there's a possibility that you could do that more. Iowa State could be a team, depending on who they have at the five, that maybe you could do that with because they'll play, uh, obviously, uh, two big guys at the five, which it seems more natural to play a traditional big guy, but they'll also play uh, kind of a 3-4 at the five as well. So so that, that could be an opportunity to do some more of that. So I think we're going to clearly see that tomorrow against Iowa State, and I guess is because he's not going to play 40 minutes at the five, right? He might only give you 10, 20. So you're still going to have to play other guys who are fives at that position, but you have to try something at this point. And that either means younger guys like Zach Clements, which we did see a little against Tech, KJ Adams getting a longer leash, or it does mean Jalen at the five, but something has to change at that position. Going back to that question about if KU at the five is championship caliber, because with something to be missed there, they have to gain something more. I mean, yeah, I, and I, I, I thought Self sounded a little um, resigned to the fact, and and maybe I, I try not to read too much into tone, uh, so I guess I'm more taking less his tone and more his words and saying that you know I, I it I hadn't planned to go there, hadn't wanted to go there, uh, something along those lines, um, but he he also knows. Look, Self's a smart guy. I think he. If look, if we know that this team one through four is good enough to win a national title, he knows it, um, and he and I, you know, I think it's just gotta. He's gonna search. Um, I'll say this: a benefit to it is he's got a plethora over the last, I don't know, six years. College basketball has afforded him a plethora of film to look at of other of examples of other teams doing exactly that. Um, and if look, if between what are there, 20 minutes? There's 20 available minutes at the five. No, the 40. 40 available minutes at the five, right? If 10 go to Jalen Wilson, um, then what? You've got three. I mean, that's still a lot of minutes. To three to guys. four guys that you need to pass up between f- uh, 30 more minutes in David McCormick, uh, Mitch Lightfoot, and, and Zach Clements, and potentially K.J. Adams. So the biggest thing this changes is it goes from four options over 40 minutes to five. Um the one of them would just be a very much a non-traditional five, which I still think defensively is a much puts you in a much more disadvantage than offensively. And you could say, well, you're already struggling defensively. So does that mean you could just sacrifice more? Does that mean it's a worse idea? I don't know. Um, But I, I I don't know. I I agree with you. I think they've just kind of reached a point where they have to do something. Because they, this is a really good basketball team everywhere but the five, and even on some nights it's good at the five. Um, and, I, and now, as as much as I've been saying that you should be hopeful that they only need to go from terrible, um, or at least some nights they're terrible, to go from what they are to just being regular and consistent. Um, at the at, to that point, I'm even more frustrated because this team would probably be ranked first or second in the country if they had been just regular or consistent all year. Yeah. So as, as hopeful as it is that they only need to improve a little, it's maddening that, they, that they're still where they are. All right, I would like to start the campaign. We, we had Jesse Newell on a, about a month ago or so, and he said he thinks Christian Brown is actually taller than he's listed. He thinks he's like 6'8", 6'9". Christian Brown at the 5, problem solved. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Depend on it.
Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Chiefs took down the Broncos on Saturday, 28 to 24. We had a uh, weird game. Chiefs, you know, go down. They score the touchdown. It's like, okay, this is going to be going to be easy. And then we had uh, the Chiefs get down at halftime. They're down 21-17, headed into the, the fourth quarter. They have to kick the field goal. And then the Broncos are about to score. Thank goodness for the Melvin Ingram trade. He comes in, blasts that guy, does the Jadavion Clowney from college, knocks the ball out too. Nick Bolton picks it up, runs for the touchdown. And then for some reason, Denver, their next chance in the red zone, they kick the field goal. That one was weird. What? Yeah. How much time was left on that? I think there was, was three-something. It, it was the only argument, and again, I, I I don't agree with it. It was fourth and nine. or So it, it would have been a long first down, but still you would have the Chiefs pinned pretty deep, even if you didn't get it. Um, I, I thought that was... And with the, with that time left, I, I the only look it, the th- that was a scenario to me in which and and look Vic, Vic Fangio has been um, fired anyway, but that felt to me like a coach making a decision that he could explain in job interviews because that was that like that was an old time football decision. Um, I don't even think you need super analytics to know that the right move to go for it. But that just feels like, well, it was fourth and long. We didn't think we could get it. We took a chance with our defense, knowing, but even if your defense succeeds, you're going to have 40 seconds left down four. With Drew Locke. So, look, that was a bad decision. Um, And the only part you can explain away, the only way you can explain it away is by mentioning it was fourth and long. But even then, um, woof. Yeah. I was trying to think. What's the last play like that? The the Melvin Ingram and the Nick Bolton's return. What was the last? I, I the Eric Berry had a pick six, a really long pick six for the Chiefs to move from eight and zero to nine and zero against the Bills in twenty thirteen. I'm trying to think of the last play like that in Chiefs history before the Melvin Ingram one and slash Nick Bolton just on Saturday. Changed. Well, it was I mean, just like, oh my, like it just went, it just went from you feeling one way about a game to immediately feeling, oh my God, now it's over in the Chiefs' favor. Well, you mentioned Eric Berry. I thought the one you were going to go with was Falcons. the Falcons. Yeah, one. Where, two-point you conversion. You were down one after they got the touchdown and then they threw the pick two yeah. to Eric Berry and he ended up winning the game. That one was huge too. As soon as I finished it, as soon as I finished the Bills one, I thought, okay, that one. Um, but yeah, you just you you just you watched it, and it was just like I don't even know how to. You just it was like I just I felt such a way. Were you watching it live, or were you were you having to watch? I saw that part live. Okay, so it was just I was you were feeling such a way like the the Broncos were just carving the Chiefs apart. Exactly how they wanted to, too. It wasn't like they were getting 40 yards, although they got a couple long plays on that drive. But they, more than anything, they got, you know, they were more than just moving the ball. They were eating up clock. And the Chiefs had just kicked a field goal, so it's 21 to 20. And you're sitting here going, best case, absolute best case scenario. 
is Chiefs are going to be down by four here with about three or so minutes left. Best, best, best case scenario. And then out of nowhere, oh no, you're up, you're up, you're up seven now instead of being down four. That was, I cannot remember the the Eric Berry one was up there, but even then, I cannot remember a, a, just a one play changing the mood of a game on a dime so much before. It was incredible. So thank goodness for that trade. Um, also, he also was the hero with um getting the. Uh, Getting the the coin flip right twice against the Chargers in that Thursday yeah, night right. game. That's right. Um, Jet McKinnon had a really good game for the Chiefs as well, and I don't know how much of a role he's going to have moving forward because teams like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, I don't know, may, maybe he'll play this week. If if they do win this week, maybe he'll play next week. So it, it's kind of hard to discern how big of a role Jet McKinnon has when you have Clyde coming back potentially, and, and you know Daryl Williams had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, and we've seen Derek Gore at different times uh, perform well. But he had a really good game offensively, and I can't help but wonder with that performance happening that late in the season. Because it's easy to remember Damian Williams and, and all the success he had in the postseason for the Chiefs. Damian Williams didn't do a ton in the regular season for the Chiefs, and I wonder if Jet McKinnon can kind of be that Damian Williams in the postseason where it's just kind of this guy who comes out of nowhere at the running back position. You can use him as a receiver in the running back game. He just kind of has a good postseason. Maybe he's trending that way. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, That's an interesting. How much that matters, comparison. Um, I'll say, that, you know, my biggest thought with, with him was just he 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 seems and he he plays a pretty different position um than you know but on his pass plays or even his run plays um he seems to have which uh, something that a lot of particularly chiefs receivers don't have is the the capacity or the willingness maybe it's not ability so much as willingness to cut up to just say all right I can try to dance and try to get a juke around this guy, in which case I'll probably lose four yards in the attempt, or I just bolt, blow my shoulders forward and get three yards. Now, I won't get the first down, but I'll get something. Um, that was kind of what I liked most about the way he ran. And to add to to add to that, and as far as players getting good games, I, I still don't want to resign him, but Mecole Hardman, hey, look at him go. Yeah. I mean, no, it just feels plays. like this is boiling up for like a tragic fumble at some point. It's fair. He's been playing well of late. I uh, tip the hat, I guess, to that. Um, I mean, or yeah, or maybe he's learned something. I maybe mean, you he know, has. it's yeah, it's entirely possible too. Maybe he has. Yeah, he's going to win Super Bowl MVP, and the Chiefs are going to give him a five-year, hundred million dollar contract, and then they're never going to live it down. Let me let um, me say this right now: he could uh, he could average two hundred yards a game in the playoffs, win Super Bowl MVP, and I still wouldn't want them to resign him. I don't know. You say that now, but if he averages 200 <laughs> yards a game for four playoff games, I don't know. 800 yards in four yeah, games for winning the, a Super yeah, Bowl? I don't know. That's Yeah, I think at that point yeah, okay. we're having another right. conversation. Maybe, maybe I'm, but maybe I, I'm, I do get your sentiment. Maybe I'm, um, I'm being a little, uh, maybe <laughs> a little I'm exaggerating a, a bit. But yeah, I, I he, he had a good game. But yeah, Jack, Jack McKinnon, um, I wonder how much, well, you know, I wonder... How much of this is something that Andy Reid has known, and now he's like, okay, now like I think as 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 possible as it is that he becomes a great weapon in the playoffs, I think it's equally possible that the Chiefs play four playoff games, go to the Super Bowl, and we never and we he carries the ball like twice. <laughs> oh, 100%. and the whole purpose of what we saw on Saturday was Andy Reid making defensive coordinators go, 
oh, 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 no, and I almost said another word besides no. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. Oh, no, they have another weapon we have to game plan around. Yeah. Like, I really wonder if that was a lot of what they did on Saturday to, uh, you know, to look, get him practice in case they need to use him as a weapon, but also to put film out there to make defensive game plan uh, coordinators make their game plans going. Now they got another one. So how do you feel about where this team's at following that close performance? Because as you're sitting there and that game is, like you said, 21-20 and the Broncos are moving down the field and they're, they're getting close to scoring there to put you in a tough position, you're almost sitting there going, man, we're going to be limping into the playoffs, two straight losses, yeah. probably both games we should have won given how you started the Bengals game. And then it quickly turns into, oh, no, everything's covered because we made this one play. So you could convince me on one hand you don't feel great about how where this team is at right now. You could convince me on the other that, oh, it's just a weird loss to the Bengals. They found a way to win, and then the NFL wins or wins. This isn't college where you have to win every game by 40. So how do you feel about where this team's at headed into the playoffs? I'm still really – I'll say my concern level about the defense – you know, early on when the when they were when the team was was bad and three and four and and all those things, my concern level of the defense was like at an eight or a nine, which made sense because they were making every team look like the ninety nine St. Louis Rams. Um, but they they after that and then over the course of the of the of every game probably before that Bengals game, even the Chargers game and the chart because the Chargers are are good. Um, so every game before the Bengals game, my my concern level at the defense had had gone down to like a three. There was I didn't put it lower than that because there was always a piece of me going, man, it was the same season that they looked that bad, and now my concern about the defense is back up to about a six, uh, because that has been it's not you know it's not like the teams have been put up putting up forty two points a game on the Chiefs, but the Broncos aren't good and they had a bad quarterback. Um, the Bengals are have a good quarterback, had, you know, better than Drew Locke certainly. Although not as good as Justin Herbert is how I would, you know, say. I think Joe Burrow is a fine quarterback, um, and, and so I, I do think he um, that that is where my my concern lies the most. Is I do think that this this the concern level of the defense has gone up to a six right now for me. That's where the worry is for me that. Even though the defense did make what ended up being the biggest play of the it's game, still every and it, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, it was it was just not the best performance overall. And you were going up against Drew Locke. I I didn't really think that Drew Locke had a chance in that game. And and I guess like if you really want to go there, like I've I've talked about this before. The Broncos are one of the more talented teams outside of the quarterback. I mean, yeah. they have three legit receivers. They have a really good running back tandem. Javante Williams is honestly by efficiency, like broken tackles for the amount he played, is one of the better running backs in the NFL. They have a good offensive line, so the pieces are there that if Drew Locke just happened to have an okay game, everything around you could make it more difficult for defense, and still at the end of the day, it was 24 points. It wasn't 35. It wasn't 40. Yeah. But it, it doesn't make you feel great how these last two games have gone. Yeah, he did, and I'll say, I do think Drew Locke played probably as well as he could possibly play. Uh, the, other, the problem that is, well, did Drew Locke have a great day, or did Drew Lock have a good day because of who he played against? Mm -hmm. um, and so, they, but look, I, I'm I'm gonna keep it at a six for the same reason I never lowered it further than a three when the when the defense was playing really well. I'm not gonna raise it to higher than a six because again, we saw a large sample size of this defense playing really really well. Um, so I don't you know I I don't want to. 
panic too much. I still think this team is rightly the favorite to at least go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. Um, but if it, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm concerned that, because you know, it's not just that they're scoring. It's not like they're. Th- you're right. They're not scoring 35 points, but there's. It, it's like they're scoring and doing exactly what they want to do. It's like the in the last two weeks, it seems like those two offenses, the Bengals and the Broncos, have execute what I imagine their game plans were, which is score what you can and drive down the clock. They were allowed to do exactly that two weeks in a row, and I can't ignore it at two weeks in a row. The sample size of the Chiefs defense playing great is bigger than two weeks, um, but those last two weeks I just can't ignore. No, no, it, it is hard. Maybe that's the common theme, though, the fact that you played two teams with really good receiving cores, like it. If you're a man defense, I, I guess that makes sense. The fact that you would be um, more prone to teams who have really good receivers. If you're going to lock up in man, then that's what it's going to come down to. Can the other receivers beat you? And with the Broncos, you know, Cortland Sutton is a very talented receiver. Uh, Jerry Judy was a first-round pick. Tim Patrick has been one of the better breakout stories of the season. With the Bengals, obviously, we know all about their receiving core. I, I guess... That has to make you feel okay for what the playoff path could be. I mean, we don't know for sure what it's going to be because the Chiefs are going to play the the best seed remaining yeah, if they beat the Steelers. I mean, Steelers' offense doesn't scare you. Prob- now, if the Steelers' offense goes off again, but you win, we're yeah, having if, even more if, conversation. Yeah, if the Chiefs win this game 35-31, then, I'm, then they're probably dog. Well, if the Chiefs win this game 35-31, they're probably dogs to the Bills in the second round, or close to dogs. I don't think so. I think they'd you be don't? favored. I, I don't know if it'd be a clear indication of who they think is going to win. I just think Vegas thinks they could get the, the money The on money, it. yeah, that's um, fair. But, like, the Bills, I don't think have... I mean, Stephon Diggs is, is a beast, but... I'm just... I'm just hard, of, you're right. Their receiving core isn't, isn't as good as the Bengals. Their quarterback is better than Joe Burrow, but their receiving core is not as good as the Bengals. But... Um, I'm just talking, just hearkening back to what they did in Arrowhead uh, in October. Well, see, I wonder now because September maybe uh, with the Steelers game, this kind of worked out. We'll talk more about what happened to get it that way uh, coming up in the four o'clock hour. But you're going to be playing the Steelers now, which is the seven seed matchup. Like that's that's perfect compared to, for instance, playing the Chargers, which you were looking at last week. So that ended up working out. As far as the divisional round, I think as as much as. I think the Bills could beat the Chiefs, and, and clearly they showed they can earlier this year in Arrowhead on Sunday Night Football. I would rather play the Bills than the Bengals, given what we saw. And given all those worries I do have about how the defense would match up man-to-man against that receiving core again. Yeah, what what what's the Bengals seed? They're the four seed. So it could, if, if the Patriots so yeah, so the, if the, so the Patriots, the Bills. Yeah, then they'll... Yeah. Then, um, then yeah, so but if the Bills win, it's the Bills no matter what, right? Correct. If because the Bills they win, are the three. Okay. If the Bills win, it's Bills no matter what. If the Patriots win, then the Chiefs would just play the winner of the Raiders Bengals game. No, they wouldn't. The Raiders are the less or the seven seed. Bengals are the, or Raiders are the five. Who's the, who's the seven? Steelers. That's why the Chiefs. Oh play duh! Yeah. What? No. Who's so the the Patriots are the six. Yeah. I'm all. Who's on first? Yeah, my bad. I'm, oh, I'm an idiot. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Absolute crazy week 18 of the NFL season. And honestly, all of it was made possible by the fact that 
the Chargers lost to the Texans in week, what was that, 16, I think. Um, because if that doesn't happen, I'm pretty sure the Chargers would have still made the playoffs last night. That they game would have just been sat, crazy. They probably would have sat everybody. It must yeah. have had seeding implications. No, and there wouldn't be like That as game many, wouldn't have mattered as much. No, um, like a lot of them, it, it would have just made like, I think the Steelers-Ravens game wouldn't have mattered, Lamar right? Jackson getting hurt had a lot to do with it, too, because yeah. the Steelers beat the Ravens. There's so many things you can um, And then, of course, Jacksonville in clown costumes. <laughs> By the way, did you see Brian Flores got fired? Today is, uh, what do they call it, like Black Monday? Black I think, Monday. In the NFL. Um, Brian Flores got totally fired. Totally opposite of Black Friday. Black Friday and around <laughs> right. Thanksgiving is called Black Friday because it's when all the stores go from the red to the black. Well, in terms of making money. Okay, that makes sense. But, um, but now it's Black Monday in terms of, like, the Black Plague. Well, the coaches get all their buyout money, right? I That's guess a good in that point. sense. Um, there were a couple coaches that were fired that it was like, you know, this makes sense, right? Uh, Mike Nagy. Zimmer. Yeah, Matt Nagy. Well, everyone knew that Nagy one. was probably over. I was, I've been stunned lately. Now, he is back in the playoffs, um, is Shanahan. Mm-hmm. But I've been stunned over the last year or so. How much higher everybody seems to think of Kyle Shanahan than Matt Nagy? Um, because the one, I mean, uh, until this year, Shanahan had less, fewer playoff appearances than Nagy, and he might still. I think Nagy has three, and this is only the second for Shanahan. Shanahan just made a Super Bowl with his one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just comes I, from I'm a- fine with the Nagy firing, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think it was kind of every, everybody needed a change, but I'm not going to sit here and be shocked. If in two, if if Nagy goes and be somebody offensive coordinator, and in two or three years gets another shot and and is is good, I'm not going to be shocked. I think he's been considering who he had heaving the pig around for him. I I think he did fine in Chicago. I think it was more so. I, I think a lot of the stuff was how it was handled. But he actually, if if they would have started, I think it was Justin Fields. If he would have started this week, because they went one week they had Nick Foles, the next week they had Andy Dalton. If they would have won, if it, Justin Fields didn't end up playing, he was he wasn't healthy to play. Yeah. Um. But if he ended up playing and they won, he would have been the first coach in NFL history to win three straight games with three different starting quarterbacks. It's pretty interesting. Um. But anyway, he got fired, but that was expected. Mike Zimmer, I still think he's a good coach, but he he got fired, and that one makes sense. Like sometimes you just need a, a refresh. I, I think he'll be a good DC wherever he goes next. I agree. One last point about Nagy, I do think the Bears. It just the, the 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 manner in which that franchise is run is just in 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 and we're gonna get. Did you I, see who's doing the coaching search? No, they are bringing him on, Bill Polian, who hasn't done anything so, yeah, in the NFL oh, okay. in three Shocking. years. Okay, so look, and I just I think certain franchises, and I don't know if we're gonna discuss Joe Judge here in a moment, but the the Bears are among certain franchises in the NFLs that just an exhibition of boobery. Yes. And the the Bears are right there. And Brian Flores was the biggest surprise of the day because... They've got to have somebody lined up. Well, you're talking about a Dolphins team that, I mean, through his first year that he took over, everybody was talking like, this roster's terrible, this team's going to go 0-16. Talk of them tank, like intentionally yes. being bad to for tank. Two, uh, for, for two or Trevor yeah. Lawrence or whoever. And they, they ended up going, I forget if it was 4-12 and or 5-11, and um, thanks to them that the Chiefs got to... to um, yeah, be the one seed. Yep. Um, and there was legitimate. T- I, I mean, when I say legitimate, it wasn't like that. It was really close. But there was there was legitimate people. When I say that, like legitimate talking heads or analysts 
who were talking about Brian Flores as NFL coach of the year for, for winning going, five. Yeah, because yeah. that's how bad they were supposed to be. And they yeah. went, they went five and four over the last nine on top of it. And then the next year, last year, they go 10 and six, which most years you're in the playoffs. You might be even the five. seed. you might be the best wild card that year, but it was just kind of a weird year where you just lost the tiebreaker to these other teams at 10 and six. So you didn't make it, but good season, especially considering, you know, the quarterback position for them has not really been that special these last couple of years. And then this year, you go 9-8. and eight, You win, what, nine of your last ten games? And yeah. again, like, you barely miss out on the playoffs because the Steelers got a tie instead of a loss along the road? Yeah. And, and yeah. I, the I, Dolphins owner, I, I think Stephen Ross is his name, he took over in 2009. You know how many winning seasons Stephen Ross has as the owner of the Dolphins? Well, at least two. That is correct. It is at least two. Um, and I'm going to go. Let's see. What did you say since when? 2009. 2009. So that gives you so like 12 the, seasons. The year 13. after they went 11-5 and five with a Wildcat offense. He wasn't part of that. Um, I know they absolutely heaved all over the Chiefs about two of those seasons because that was back when the Chiefs were awful. Um, but I don't know how they finished those just particular pick a number. years. I'll, I'll say just for the sake of this, I'll say two. Those were the only two. Three times. Did you go through? Was it was the other one 2011? No, I'm not sure. I just know it's only been three times. And of those three, two of them were with Brian Flores in the last three seasons. Yeah. And you fired that guy. I, my they my only thought is they have they have to have somebody in line. And there was some scuttlebutt. Yes, there that was. The guy they have in line is Jim Harbaugh, who has emerged as the lead candidate for the Raiders job. That's correct. And then... So I, I don't even know if you could say they have him in line because he's the candidate for Chicago, too. I don't think he is because, get this, so Stephen Ross is, and this is, I'm going to give my explanation of what I think happened here, um, but Stephen Ross, I don't know if he graduated from Michigan or if he's just a Michigan fan, he is a giant donor to the University of Michigan. He came out today, a couple hours after that report that they were talking about that, and said... Um, that Miami will not be the reason that Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan. Which tells me that whatever contact people saw that he had with Jim Harbaugh, maybe people were like, oh, it was it's just the Dolphins owner. Yeah, they were like, oh, I see the Dolphins owner is talking to Jim Harbaugh, or he took a private plane to Jim Harbaugh. I wonder if that was more about Stephen Ross as a Michigan donor going and saying, I will pay you a big salary not yeah. to go to one of these NFL teams. That, that could like be. Like, stay that, at yeah, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be, yeah. Just, he was, he's been part of Harbaugh. Because Harbaugh took a pay cut coming into this year. That's I, right. I assume the fact that they won the Big Ten he's gonna get a, and, and went to the playoff, he's going to get himself a raise and an extension. So, yeah, it's very possible that any discussions that he had with Michigan – and Jim Harbaugh were about a potential yes, raise. about Michigan, and people yeah. took it as, oh, Dolphins over talking Miami, with, yeah. with Jim Harbaugh. Which, how pissed would you be if you were a Dolphins fan that he's paying to keep Jim Harbaugh at <laughs> right? Michigan rather than trying to get him to come to the team you own? I mean, there has to be some something there between Flores and the owner and the GM or something because that, that just doesn't make sense to me. But somebody is going to... Like, I saw somebody point this out. Uh, I think it was Kevin Clark of the Ringer. He said, "If your if your head coach that you just fired immediately becomes the number one head coach on the mark open market, yeah, you, you know you messed the, up. Well, with one exception, and that is when Andy Reid went four yeah. and twelve. Sometimes he but it was a, yeah, it was, he went fresh, four and twelve. Yeah, Both the Eagles and Andy Reid needed a change of scenery. But yes, in almost every other like in, in almost every other exception, 
and it, it took a, a, a Hall of Fame coach going four and twelve to find that exception. So in almost every other instance, um, that is dead on right. Yeah. Okay. So how we got here in Week 18, the Dolphins actually beat the Patriots, which got the P- Patriots the sixth seed. If the Patriots would have won, they'd be the five seed, and then Cincinnati would be playing them. The Bills would be playing the Raiders. Um, but the Raiders Chargers game was electric. That I don't that know. Was, that might that have been the so game fun. of the year in the NFL. I mean, we had there's a lot of games to choose from. Right? It's it's hard to remove yourself from the Chiefs Chargers game when we have the the Chiefs colored glasses on. Um, but that game was incredible and. Honestly, what made it even more incredible wasn't just the fact that the Chargers had to come back how they did and they convert all these fourth downs. I mean, they just kept converting fourth downs. They score on the last play of the game. Um, They tie the game. Uh, It was the idea, too, that you knew after the Steelers won and the Colts lost that if the Raiders and Chargers— I think it was just based on the Colts losing. If they just decided to tie, because we we brought this up last year. Yeah, we we didn't think in a million years it would happen. If they decided to tie, that both teams would go to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, no, this will never happen. And then you get into overtime, and you're like, this might organically happen. (laughs) And and it would have been the best convincing job. If if they would have tied, I think everybody would have sat here today with the conspiracy of, they did a great job playing that out to make it seem like they weren't trying to tie. Oh, that would have been that would have been the talk, <laughs> the greatest play I mean, put on ever. Yeah, that would have been that that absolutely there would have been journalists everywhere digging for any potential evidence that it, that it was an inside job that they tried to tie. Yeah, that game was amazing, man. It had playoff implications. The only way I think it could have been better, I personally believe close games that that are back and forth the whole time are more exciting than uh games in which somebody needs to come back that's just me though mm-hmm. a lot of people prefer no, the agree. comebacks the chargers need to come back from 14 but i really believe the only way that game could have been better when you think of the implications behind it um not just it would it not just the implications for those two teams but for a third team too uh, the fact that three fan bases and that it was there, the hopes of three fan bases were Ben's hanging in the too. in the balance exactly, um, and it, it was the only way to me it could have been better is if it was just teams going blow for blow yeah. rather than somebody needing to come back. But it, either way, man, it was awesome. Well, and some of those uh, like the things that happened along the way, like they can't be forgot. Uh, when when Brandon Staley. Went for the fourth and like one and a half at his own seventeen yard line. Yeah, and that was the dumbest thing. I, I'm sorry. I li- I like football analytics and stuff. We've had this conversation before. We both like football analytics. You have just no, no. Yeah, not, when no. you also have to have a sense of how the, the play game call is. was bad too. Yeah. yeah, and you have to have a sense of. But the the other, but see, I always go back to yes, the play call was not good. But I also get, and I know you're not doing this, but I get frustrated when analytics people will be like, well, it was the right move to go for four, go for it on fourth and one, but it was just a bad play call. Okay, but that's something you have to factor in. <laughs> you have to factor in that you have to make a play mm-hmm. call. And maybe that you don't know what kind of, how many bullets the OC has left in the chamber to, to get that yardage. So anyway, yes, I, I think Staley is an example of, I would take a guy like Staley who who takes the analytics as as gospel and sticks exclusively to them over somebody who ignores them completely? Oh, 100%. Yeah. But I still think it is a ma- it goes back to uh Theo Epstein, obviously a different um uh not Theo Epstein, um 
Tito Francona. Theo Epstein was the uh, was the general manager of the Red Sox who who used analytics to build the to build a world champion. But uh, Terry Francona, Tito Francona, was the manager of that team, and he wrote in his book the story about the analytics department kept coming down every single day. They'd give him the ideal analytical lineup, and it always included David Ortiz batting seventh. And they gave it to him, and they gave it to him, and he and they never did it. And they always kept him batting third or fourth. And finally, at one point, they flat asked, and they said, "Look, man, we put this thing together." Um, or maybe maybe it was a member of the press said, "Hey, your analytics department puts this together." So it's either the analytics department or a member of the press. But at one point, somebody says, "Hey, you've got this ideal analytical lineup. Why are you not doing it that way?" And Tito Francona said, "And for the record, I think this is why." Um, um, Theo Epstein was so successful as a GM and not Billy Bean because he also understood I'm going to let my manager manage uh, and Billy Bean hasn't gotten there yet but Tito Francona said to that guy he said okay do you want to go into that clubhouse and tell the entire clubhouse that the defending MVP is going to bat 7th and that's part of it you have to factor in you have to read where your team is and and you know that, anyway sorry that was somewhat of a of a of a tangent, but I just think I, I like Staley. I think he's a smart coach, and I think he has a tremendous quarterback playing for him. Um, but I, I do think that he needs to be a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because I do too. I actually supported like all the the fourth downs he went for against the Chiefs, but that that was just a little too far for me. But that was just a footnote in the game. And then you just like I said, all those fourth downs like that is so crushing for the Chargers. You come back from behind, and and not just you came back. You literally, I mean, that last drive, every like first, second, and third down, it was like, oh, here goes Justin Herbert throwing a 90 mile per hour fastball that his receiver is either not going to catch or it's going to be a little inaccurate or he's going to get too much pressure and have to throw it off his back foot and it's incomplete. And every time it got to fourth and 10, and every time yeah. they like barely converted. And they, it was, it was like, okay, uh, they're going to win. And then you get to the end where after both teams kick a field goal, it's like, all right, the tie's in play. The Raiders could just take the tie. They're going to both make the playoffs. And for a Chargers fan to be sitting there, I know in the post game they said, because the Chargers called a timeout. I saw a screen grab of it, though. They had no corner on the receiver on the end. So they would have lost the game if the Raiders saw that and just chucked it deep. Um, so they had to call a timeout. But then the Raiders in the post game said, yeah, the timeout changed things. I don't totally no, buy no, no, into but that. I, I do want to say that Derek Carr said mm -hmm. something about the, the timeout changing. His very next quote, though, was the last thing we wanted was a tie. Okay. He did say that. Okay. The quote, I, I, so I think what he probably meant in the context of what he said, yes, the tie changed things. I think he meant it went from what they were going to run, which appeared to be a shotgun run, gotcha. a run from the shotgun formation to an eye formation run, which is what they wound up running. Because immediately after that, his quote was the something. It was it was the last thing we wanted was a tie. Yes. Okay. So so that's why. So they ended up kicking a field goal, winning the game. Five of the Raiders' ten wins this year came on walk off field goals from Daniel Carlson, which is wild on its own. Um, but to lose that way as the Chargers is incredible. But you get it from the rate. Like I. I understand the Raiders should want to win that game. If they tie that game, they get the seven seed. They're playing at Kansas City, a team who beat them forty to ten or whatever, both games basically. So you want to win that game. So I feel bad for the Chargers, but that was an incredible game, all made possible by the fact that the Jaguars 
crushed the Colts, the weirdest <laughs> results of the NFL season. 49ers came back on the Rams, too. That was just that was like, a really fun you one. know, uh, it kept the Saints out of the playoffs. Garoppolo made himself some money. Yes, Who, he did. Whoever doesn't wind up with Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers is going to wind up paying Jimmy Denver? Garoppolo. Question mark? We'll find out. All right, with Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to our NFL Monday Overreactions next. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. So you heard about the Week 18. You saw it. You lived it yesterday. How about we overreact to some of the things that occurred over the NFL weekend? I'll go ahead and get started here. Um, the Browns are going to be, at least this is what they say, you know, what happens in the offseason. We've seen this before. Where a team is like, no, we're committing to Andy Dalton, first-round draft pick, Justin Fields. Um, but the Browns are saying they're going to commit to Baker Mayfield for next year. I... Me and you agree on this. The fact that you should probably just not, if it's like a, a middle-tier quarterback and he wants to get paid that high-level QB money, Don't let him, him walk, yep. right? The Browns are the one team in the NFL who should be content paying an average quarterback. Because they never make the playoffs anyway? Well, that's that's a fair point as well. But the list of Cleveland quarterbacks... Oh, it's been bad. ...has been very bad. So, like, I know I'm this is counterintuitive to, to that. Couch was their savior. But like so, that's the issue. Here's like, the thing: the reason do you, do you lower your bar of expectations? Yeah, the the reason I have that rule for 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 um and is because you're never getting to a Super Bowl that way. But the reason and the reason teams insist on paying those quarterbacks anyway is because it's scary to walk away. Because at the very least, with a quarterback like Baker Mayfield, you can usually sell the idea that we're probably going to make the playoffs. We're going to be in, at the very least in contention till week 18, and we're probably going to more often than not will at least put together enough of a season to make the playoffs. And it's hard to walk away from that. And so yeah, it's a good question. The Browns um, haven't had a, pl- a quarterback like that in a long, long time. I you mean, want me to go through the list of quarterbacks since Tim Couch? Um, Tim Couch, Jeff, Jeff Garcia, Sp- uh, Spurgeon. Wynn. There's no way you're going to be able to do this. Spurgeon Win was in there. Yeah, you got um, Tim Couch, Ty Detmer, Doug Peterson, Spurgeon Win, Kelly Holcomb, uh, Jeff Garcia, Luke McCown, Trent Dilfer, Charlie Fry, Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn, Ken Dorsey, Bruce Gradkowski, uh, Colt McCoy, Jake DeLome, Seneca Wallace, Thad Lewis, Brandon Whedon, Jason Campbell, Brian Hoyer, Johnny Manziel, Connor Shaw, Josh McCown again. Austin Davis, Cody Kessler, RG3, I don't remember that, Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan, Baker Mayfield, Terod Taylor, Case Keenum, Nick Mullins. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's got to be tough being a Cleveland Browns fan. Yeah, it does. Do you just accept being average? You you think, first things first, you come in last year thinking, hey, we've actually got a shot to go to Kansas City and win, and immediately you're down 19-3. to And then you start brightening up a bit going, oh my gosh, they don't have their stud quarterback. We're making a comeback. We're making a comeback. We're making a comeback. Oh no, Chad (laughs) Henney can beat us too going forward on fourth down. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's a tough life. My first overreaction is that uh, I've discovered whoever the Giants say is their owner, uh, they're lying. The owner from the New York football Giants is uh, that banker from Deal or No Deal. (laughs) 
He's just a shadow up in the room who doesn't make any decisions, and he just sits there and counts money. That's the only way to explain keeping Joe Judge. Yeah, that that's something we didn't really bring up in the, the head coaching thing. Um, that is remarkable to me. He, he ran a quarterback sneak on third and nine, Derek. Dude, that was the worst thing I saw yesterday. <laughs> they were they, third and nine. They ran a quarterback sneak. You are you are four and twelve in a game that doesn't matter. You're Does he not Washington know these games team. are televised? That's the thing, and it's like, what do you have to lose by trying to pass the ball on third and nine? Not even his job, apparently. Unbelievable, <laughs> and and he is like a. Like a, he just like lies about things too. Like, did you see the quote of him? I think this was a week or two ago when he was like, you know, I know how to respond from adversity because we in twenty, uh, I want to say twenty eighteen, when I was on the Patriots. Yeah, and uh, we all thought we were going to get fired halfway, and they were like six. They were like and eight two. and one or something. Yeah. It was like seven and two or something. That was the, the stupid. Chief, that was the year that the Patriots, beginning to end, held the one seed until the Chiefs got at the end of the year. He also because said, the Dolphins beat the Patriots again. This was a week or two ago as well. He was like, you know, I know we're doing things the right way because I have, I have former players who used to be yeah, on the who, Giants and who, aren't. Who, on they're the getting Giants. paid more, and yeah, they're calling and they're, me and they're saying, saying, "I wish I was still there." Talk about your all time. Okay. No, I've definitely got a hot girlfriend. She just <laughs> lives in another, another town, and she can't come to prom. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that's, that's my one. first one. All right, my second one. TJ Watt will end up being the best Watt brother. Now, there's Derek Watt, which he actually might be the best because good first name. Um, but J.J. Watt is, like, I, I know it's easy over these past couple years when he's been injured and hasn't played as much or might, might not be as good to kind of focus on that. But realistically, like, J.J. Watt is going to go down as one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Um, I'm not saying he would be number one or anything, but, like, he's in the conversation of one of the better ones. Five-time All-Pro, when he was in his prime, he was he was getting and, – and keep these in mind. Like, he had 102 sacks so far in 11 seasons, but he's playing a 3-4 defensive end spot. That is really hard to rack up a lot of sacks. All the passes he would bat down. I mean, he was, what, defensive MVP or defensive player of the year for, like, three straight yeah, seasons? He was very good. A, un- unbelievable run. I think TJ is going to be better. Now, JJ is a better run defender than TJ Watt is. Like, the Pittsburgh Steelers are not a good run defense. But TJ, he, he's going to be all pro this year. That'll give him his third all pro. As I mentioned, JJ has five in 11 seasons. This is TJ's fifth season. TJ Watt, he tied the NFL sack record yesterday. He has 71 sacks in five seasons. They fight over Subway sandwiches just mm. like normal Who would you take? Um, I have a sour taste in my mouth uh, based on previous careers in radio with the uh, first name of that particular <laughs> Watt. So give me JJ okay, over the other go. one. What's your second one? Um, moving on to uh, this is this one's actually really easy and, and obvious, but I'm just going to say it out loud anyway. Justin Herbert is becoming Phillip Rivers. Incredible <laughs> numbers. Just weird crap happens wow. to keep him out of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, because and we should say like some people might take that as a slight because there's some people. No, that no, like, I think Philip Rivers yeah, is a Hall of Famer. I, I think Philip like, Rivers. You is and great. I are both high on on how good Philip Rivers' career was. I know some people are like, oh, but because oh, all these crazy things would happen where it weird hurt crap, his legacy, man. right? There was it, now uh, this there, this was different. The Chiefs. We've talked extensively, Derek, about 2010 when the Chiefs with Matt Castle wound up 10 and six and went to the playoffs. They won the division by a game over the 9-7 and seven Chargers in spite of the fact that the Chargers had the number one scoring defense and number one scoring offense. They still did not make the playoffs that year. That's freaking bizarre. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, think th- about that. This year was somewhat different. They had a top five scoring offense, so Herbert did his job. Mm-hmm. They just oh no, by the way, they've got a defensive coach, but they still wound up with defense. the 29th, 29th ranked defense. That's what's weird too, because they're like good anyway. players there. It's like yeah. oh, Joey Bosa, he's really good, or Derwin James, even though he's always hurt, he's really good. It, the big hoss that together. got the one handed interception on the Thursday mm-hmm. night game, he's yeah. good. I, I don't understand. Okay, my third one this year is going to end up being the best receiver draft class of all time. That is that is heavy-handed for NFL Monday Overreaction. So you're talking about the class of 21, right? Yeah, the guys this, who are rookies this crop this of year. rookies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jamar Chase might already be a top five receiver in the NFL. Um, if not, he's top ten. Jalen Waddell set the record for most receptions by a rookie wide receiver yesterday. Devontae Smith. Broke the Eagles' rookie receiving records. Former Heisman winner. I mean, those are three guys who are probably going to amass multiple Pro Bowls each. Then you still have uh, Kadarius Tony, who showed flashes, had some injuries. Rashad Bateman. You have Terrace Marshall. Uh, Rondale and Elijah Moore both had some big games. Amon Ross St. Brown was fantastic toward the end of the season for the Lions. That is a phenomenal receiving class. Now, other ones that you might come up and say, well, what does this compare to? Because otherwise, I'm just screaming into the void. 1996 is one a lot of people bring up. You had Terrell Owens, you had Marvin Harrison. T.O. is one of the five greatest talents at receiver ever. Marvin Harrison, probably a, I don't know, top 10, 15 receiver of all time. And Keyshawn don't Johnson. piss him off at his car No, wash. do not. Uh, his son, really good at Ohio State. Maybe uh, he'll end up being better. Who knows? Keyshawn Johnson, good receiver. Moosin Muhammad, Eddie Kennison, Amani Toomer, Joe Horn. Those are all really good receivers wow, who have long that careers, is a, right? That is a, That's a very good class. class. I think this one could be better. because It's, I, 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 it's good, man. I mean, if you're just comparing it, like, the key is, can somebody else, like, I think Jamar Chase could be as good as a Terrell Owens, but if he does less off the field and, and pisses less people off, he could be valued more. Well, yeah, period, more right? consistent not, um, and not just have a series somebody of, of one-year contract. be what Marvin Harrison is to that class, then you have a chance. 1985, it's basically because you have Jerry Rice, greatest receiver of all time. Andre Reid was in it, too, though. Hall of Famer. 2014, yeah. this one's pretty incredible, too. Devontae Adams... Mike Evans, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson, and a couple other guys. That is a really good class. But I think Devontae Adams, of course, drafted by the franchise that won't draft uh, wide receivers. That's right. They just won't invest in them. They but, won't invest in receivers. I mean, that is there. a really good class. Yeah, it's it, and I, I think this is only going to get more true as the as the passing game expands in the NFL. Um, I think you get more classes like that. I'm going to be very very quick because we only have about a minute left. Um, the uh, oh uh, the Jacksonville Jaguar fans have proven that it is now good luck to wear clown suits uh, during games. I hope this becomes a trend. I hope whenever and you go, they've play, done it for the last few weeks. This clown really? thing, this clown thing has has been a thing in Jacksonville for I a couple didn't weeks. See it because well, no, they, they haven't worn clown suits. Just talking, just the clownness of the organization. But it culminated Sunday with a bunch of fans wearing clown suits to the Jacksonville Indie game. And, of course, it ended with uh, Jacksonville, as we just talked about, pulling a major upset over the Indianapolis Colts, who, for the record, their Negro League team was the Indianapolis Clowns. That would be the best home field advantage, just a bunch of scary clowns. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. They're my loser of the week, by the way. You won, and you still kept the number one pick. This is RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST. This is KLWN. Coming up in a little, we'll share Bill Self speaking with the media earlier today at his uh, press conference. And one of the things he said 
Roy Williams is going to be at the game tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, I, I want to devote some more time to talk about maybe some of the best moments. Or Did um, come in to watch the youngsters play some basketball? <laughs> I think he's going to get a gigantic ovation tomorrow. I got right? hope. Um, I wouldn't. I I would not accept anything less. I I would be infuriated if they boo, which I don't think they. To be clear. I'm pretty positive that no, won't, won't happen. Um, I hope, yes, I hope he gets an enormous standing ovation. Roy Williams is, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're, you're fine. I, in my mind, Roy Williams is the second most important coach in the history of KU basketball, aside only from Bill Self. And I think he's the third best coach in the history of KU basketball beside uh, behind Bill Self and Fog Allen. I think the reason he might be slightly more important than Fog Allen is because his greatness happened at a time when cable TV was expanding, when all sports, including men's college basketball, were expanding. Um, so I think in the modern era, it's a little more important because he made sure, his greatness made sure that KU was not left behind. He took, he was like the sixth choice. Nobody wanted that job because they were in, they were going to be on a year of probation um, in his first season. And I, I understand he didn't win the national title. He came up short twice, uh, losing by, I think, five in one national title game and three in the other. Um, and and Larry Brown did win the national title. So if you want to say that Larry Brown is ahead of Roy, it's fine. I won't spend much time arguing with you about that. But I believe Roy Williams is the third best coach in the history of KU basketball and the second most important in the history of KU basketball. Without Roy Williams, KU doesn't even come close to attracting a guy like Bill Self in 2003. Yeah, that's Bill a good Self point. was the guy. Bill Self was the guy in 2003 any program could have hired him and because of how great Roy was in the 15 years he was at Kansas that's why KU was able to attract a guy like Bill Self mm -hmm. um, Roy's got a little Dick Vermeil in him where that sounded weird um, yeah I'm glad you where, said Vermeil yeah. uh, where he like he He's not a like overly emotional guy, but like he will in emotional moments get emotional. I would not be surprised if he gets a big ovation and, and he starts to tear up tomorrow. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean he. Um, like, I think it would mean a lot to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, everybody, you know, KU fans. Some of them that are still bitter, which I, I don't understand. Um, but you know, they'll they'll try to hold against him the quote about I don't give a bleep about North Carolina. I think in that moment he was not lying. That didn't mean I'm not leaving for mm -hmm. North Carolina. It meant the players who've been with me forever, you know, for these last four years and done everything that I've asked them, just came up short in a heartbreaking game in the national freaking championship. I don't think he was in it. And then he leaves for North Carolina. And I know you weren't here at that time, Derek, but a lot around here, a lot of, not all, but a lot of the sentiment was, well, you just lied by saying I don't give a bleep about North Carolina to Bonnie Bernstein at the end of the national title game, I don't think he was lying. I, he never said I'm not going. Uh, he did say I'm staying in 2000. Now, I do think when he said I'm staying in 2000, he truly believed there was no chance. I think he thought Matt Doherty was going to do really well at North Carolina and didn't think it would open up again in three years. Um, I understand why he left. I understood then why he left. It helped to swallow a little more because I really was high on Bill Self. Um, I thought he was – I liked being in a position where there was an obvious choice mm -hmm. and that KU landed that obvious choice. Um, so in that sense, as, as bummed as I was to see him go, it was easier for me to understand. Um, 
and, and easier to swallow because a guy like Bill Self was coming in. But I, I, I've always bristled at the people who, who claim it was a lie for him to say, I don't care about North Carolina because I think in that moment it was he was right. That the only thing he cared about were the guys in the locker room who just had their hearts ripped out after objectively, I mean, I hate saying it because I'm a fan of the team that lost, but objectively an incredible national title game. Yeah. Um, so that'll be really cool that he'll be back, and I'm sure they'll have some special videos and stuff on the big board. Um, KU, though, in the past uh, three days, as opposed to the past 20 years ago, lost to Texas Tech on Saturday. And we talked about the issues that went into it. Uh, the big man play wasn't good enough and it won't be good enough moving forward for you to be a legit contender. Remy Martin's still injured, trying to play through it. You did see some positives. Jalen Wilson, um, kind of at the front of that. Ochai Baji had a really good game. Um, are you more than a two-man band? If, if one of Ochai or Christian isn't getting going, how good is the offense? Because that was the case against Texas Tech. But listen, at the end of this day, or at the end of the day, as frustrating as that type of loss is, or just, I mean, a loss in general is just frustrating, but especially when it's like that, when it just felt like you could never really get back into the game or that all these things were going against you or that the, the offense wasn't getting going. Did you see the missed layup at the end when Ochai was expecting yes, a foul? Correct. That was it. That was he like... got past the the charge. Five, and then, you know, yeah, like yeah. KU kept getting within five and getting within five and getting within five, and then finally they got, they were within, I think, five or four and got a turnover then Ochai missed the layup. And at that moment, that was, it's done. Yeah. And so as frustrating as all that is, and as frustrating as it was too, that Tech is playing without their two leading scores. At the end of the day, that is a good Texas Tech team you're playing. You're playing them on the road. That's one of the tougher places to play in the conference when they're good. Um, and you're playing a Texas Tech team that's desperate, right? They lose their their first Big 12 game to Iowa State. So now they're trying they're desperately trying to avoid 0 and 2. They're playing their first home Big 12 game of the year. You ran into a again, I don't like to make it about the officials, but um and you just ran into a ref who liked calling charges a lot against a team that takes a lot a lot a lot of charges, which was funny. I know Jesse Newell pointed this out that um you're not allowed to boo if you're a Texas Tech fan and your team runs into a charge. That's not how it works. Um, but it was it was just kind of unfortunate, and it happened. Like, for instance, if you go on Ken Palm right now, you know where Kansas is ranked? Well, I went on earlier. Yeah. They're fourth, aren't they? Exactly. You know where Kansas was ranked before the Texas Tech game? Fourth. Exactly. And I actually, I'm pretty sure Purdue is among the teams that dropped. Because I think Nova's fifth right now. Yeah, Nova is fifth. Yeah. Um, so, I guess on one hand... You know, it's probably a good signal that is this one of those absolutely dominant Bill Self teams that we've seen only lose two, three games in a season? No. And, and well, they, I I agree with what you're saying, man. But the 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 Frank Mason team, the the not in 17, but in 2016, that team was the number one overall seed, mm -hmm. and they had a crap run early in the Big 12 season. Yeah, they got bombed oh, by by uh, Oklahoma State early in the conference mm -hmm. season, and, and maybe it will be that. But I think from what we saw in that game and what we've seen, because really this is like four out of five games where they've kind of left something to be desired. It just probably isn't one of those like absolutely this is one of the best teams or, or maybe like the best team in the country going to the tournament. They can still win the national title. I don't want to discount that. And maybe they're not even as good as Baylor in the league because right now Baylor is the number one team in the country with a bullet. And 
I think Kansas will still wind up being really good, but I guess just to put this succinctly, the result in a vacuum of losing a Texas Tech with all those things, it's not surprising. It's not terrible. I think it's just that some of the takeaways, the fact that your center play is not good enough right now, the fact that you're waiting on Remy Martin to get healthy and, and be more explosive to your offense, it's that some of those takeaways have specifically led to that result that are more worrisome because the result itself in a vacuum isn't that bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would agree with all of that, but I think, yeah, and, and every loss is going to have things you can be worried about coming away if they continue. And there's reason to believe that the big man play will continue because it, it, it had, you know, we've seen it before. But yeah. I, I think ultimately I tweeted this after the game, you know, with, with a, with a, uh, a, a program like Kansas, um, there's always going to be these big takes and somebody wanting to, to be the loudest and have the, the wildest, most, most off the wall, I'm ahead of everybody take. Ultimately, what happened on Saturday was KU lost a really good, uh, lost a, a road game to a good conference opponent. Yeah, and, and exactly. That's all there is to it. There's it's no other. Simple. There's no other way to put it. And I still maintain that there's reason, if you want to look at this optimistically, it's that... I, Again, as I pointed out uh, in, in the first segment of the top of the show, with the exception of 2019 and 2005, from the beginning of the season through Christmas break and from Christmas break through the end of the year, every single Bill Self team since he's been here, with those two exceptions, 19 and 05, mm -hmm. have gotten better. Um, and so I I, I just, I, if you're betting the odds, this team's going 100%. to be much better in March than it is at this moment, and it's still pretty damn good right now. Yeah, no, it still is. Um, here's here's part of the problem, too. It is that Baylor problem, who's sitting at the top, because it's the Big 12 race part of things. We know that every year the goal is to win the Big 12, and, and that's a goal for any team who's supposed to be good. You just want to win your conference. That's the first goal. But it's more so for Kansas. Uh, one, Bill Self put such an emphasis, but ever since the streak, like that almost made the conference title more important versus, again, it's it's not that other schools who are good don't say they don't want to win the conference. That's not what I'm saying. I, I want to be clear with that. But there is almost like a an added emphasis for Kansas. For instance, Duke hasn't won a, an ACC title since 2010, right? Like there are certain, And they won a national title in 2015. Yeah, exactly. So, um it's not that they're not that they didn't in 2015 say we don't want to win the ACC. Yeah, they just didn't. It's just maybe there's a little bit different structure. Maybe part of it is we see this, and and this is something that I'll be interested in moving forward. Um, Zach Clements and KJ Adams maybe haven't played as much as I mean. Bill Self said this in the presser today. He said, "Do I wish that we would have maybe played KJ and, and Zach a little more in the non-con? Yeah, I probably do, and I think." I think that is is almost a, a bit of a problem for Bill. So he cares so much about winning. He gets so competitive. He's going to go with the guys he trusts. And so he's not going to, whereas with like John Calipari, you know, he might say, hey, we're going to take even lumps into January, into December, but we're going to play some of these young guys and let them play through it so that by the time we get to March, we're going to go on a run. And there, there's different ways to skin a cat, right? Like Bill Self is one of the greatest coaches in college basketball. John Calipari is one of the best coaches in college basketball. And that might offend some people, but um, they're both really good. Again, you can skin a cat right. in different ways. Um, but there is a bigger emphasis on winning the Big 12 for KU. And so with that comes when you lose games like this, the dropped expectations. Because in a normal year, if 
the goal is to win the Big 12. A lot of what Bill Self will say, he'll say, if you can hold serve at home and you can go four and five or five and four on the road, you got a shot at the thing. In a lot of years, that's more than good enough. You might win the conference by two games if you go five and four on the road, hold serve at home. And that's not usually just good enough to win the conference. That's usually good enough to get a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And it might still this year. But with how good Baylor has been, because think about this, Kansas is on par to do that. They haven't played a home game, but they're one and one on the road. So it's not like they're off par of that. Baylor might be good enough to go 15 and three or 16 and two in this conference. Which they also the found mar- themselves struggling against OU and Texas Christian. Baylor? Yeah, they were down in the second half to TCU. Mm. They wound up winning that game by a margin. Yeah. But they were down in the second half to TCU. Okay. Well, I think at the end, I mean, they still won by 12, beat Iowa State on the road, beat Oklahoma. They, the point is. Baylor has been number one in Ken Palm. They are, they are good enough to to win the league. And so that makes it so that the margin for error is a lot smaller if that is the goal. So I guess the question there for KU, for me, is I guess just how important is winning the Big 12 in a year like this? Or should KU basically say, you know what? No, now we are going to spend the time developing. We're going to play Zach Clements and KJ Adams or, or whoever whatever young guy a little bit more right now. And we're not we're not going to punt on the Big 12. Like again, we still want to win the Big 12, but we have a bigger focus on March. I can't ever in the history of college basketball think of a scenario in which it is a good idea to sacrifice conference games in the name of being ready for the NCAA tournament because I think it comes down to something this simple. If you're good enough to win your conference in a Power 5 league, you're good enough to win the national championship. Period. And I I don't think there's ever a time where you're tweaking something and you're not willfully sacrificing games in conference play. And I know what you're saying, but I just think there's just times where the Big 12 during that streak hasn't been all that good. And I think if people want to test, and I understand where they were in the RPI, but I think if people want to test the the theory that the reason that KU only went to three Final Fours and only won one national title in the greatest conference championship streak in the history of this sport is because they weren't challenged as much in the Big 12. Now you have a chance to to, to test that theory because you've got somebody challenging you. You're not playing down to anybody's level. Baylor's come up to your level. And I think um, – and so, I, no, I, I, I just – I don't – I think you should I, – I, I don't know that there's ever this um, – I don't even think John Calipari is willfully going, okay, we may – you know, struggle here in the name of being good. Um, I just think you either are good or you're not. Well, I guess this is where I'm coming with this. Um, and, and Calipari's only had really one of those years. This is where, where I'm he's coming been with this. Just flat back again. I'm I'm not saying you're you're purposely giving things up. If the idea is like, who do you think has the highest ceiling of the KU centers? Highest potential, long term. David McCoy. I think it's Zach Clemens to win a national championship this year. Who has the highest ceiling this yes, year? I think it would be Zach Clemens. No, I think it's David McCormick, and I don't think it's close. Okay. Well, so then, we, to yeah. be clear, we're coming we at this from two different this. directions. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're of my approach where you think a good Zach Clemens could change things up, then you'd like to see him get more run. And, and maybe that hurts you in the short term because maybe right now he's not as good as Mitch or Dave, but through development of longer play, maybe he'd be better by the time we get to March. I also, but I don't think... I, I think you're on the side of Bill Self, so I don't I don't think it'll end well, up happening. Well, but right I now. also, to, to be clear, regarding Zach Clements, I, I also think it's worth noting, to me personally, mm-hmm. 
I don't think there's enough time left in this season to get Zach Clements to that level anyway. Yeah, that's fair. I think if there is a big man on this, Zach Clements might have a ceiling good enough to win a national title, But I, and I think David McCormick also has a ceiling good enough to win a national title. I think the difference is if somebody's going to hit that ceiling within the next three months or two months, it's going to be David McCormick. I don't know if it just, I just don't know if it could be Zach Clements. You know what I mean? Well, and I guess that goes back to the conversation of should they have been playing more early to yeah, where that, maybe have more true. development. But yeah. we'll never know the answer to that. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens at the center position tomorrow. Uh, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it.